Hey, Matt, what's your favorite horror movie franchise? Mm, gotta be the Halloween movies. Hey, Tara, who is your favorite horror film villain? Ooh, the Cenobites from Hellraiser. What's the worst horror sequel? Mm, not just the worst horror sequel, the worst sequel in film history, Exorcist 2. Now, other side of that, what's the best horror sequel? Okay, ironically, that is Exorcist 3. What's your favorite horror movie podcast? Without a doubt, The Scary Movie Project. You would say that. Subscribe to The Scary Movie Project wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The Scary Movie Project. On this episode of Common Mystics, we journey to Fulton, Missouri in the late 19th century, where we uncover one man's well-known contributions to the county of Callaway and perhaps some of his lesser-known exploits. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are common mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And we have another story for you out of Fulton, Missouri. Jennifer. Jill. This is our fourth installment of our first ever Common Mystics Road Trip. That is true. That is true. We've been to Kaskaskia. That's right. We've been to Independence, Missouri. Mm-hmm. And now we're turning our attention to Fulton, Missouri. And we are back at the Westminster College, home of Chrisman's Swopes Chapel, or where it was. Right. So those listeners who have maybe just listened to the Swope episodes will recognize Westminster College once again. Yes, ma'am. So now we're walking around the college. After we set our intention, can you remind everyone what our intentions are? Absolutely. Our intention is always to find a verifiable story that we don't know anything about, but also, and most importantly, to give voice to the voiceless. Mm-hmm. So... We leave where Christian Swope's chapel was, and we're wandering around Westminster College. Mm -hmm. And I'm just taken back, and I have been, because we spent the night in the kingdom of Callaway, quote-unquote. Everything we see is for the kingdom of Callaway, and it's confusing, and it feels kind of sinister and almost like a dog whistle that I'm not understanding. (laughs) When you say dog whistle, what do you mean exactly? So I mean it has a context that is implicating something that I am unaware of. Got it. Got it. So like it's almost like a reference that and you don't know what the joke is. Exactly. Exactly. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I felt the same way. It felt so odd. I'm like, what is the kingdom of Callaway? Totally creepy. Mm -hmm. To us northern girls. (laughs) To us northern girls. (laughs) Yeah. For sure. It felt weird and creepy. You know what? As we were walking around Westminster College in our other Swope episode, we talked about some of the hits we got from that story. But independent of that, as it turns out, I was hearing the name Daniel come into my head. That's right. And to remind everyone, we pick up on information that is coming at us and we don't have a context for it. So it's not until we do the research within itself is intuitive that we're able to sort out what we were picking up. So one of the hits that you were getting, and again, that you had no context for at the time was the name Daniel. Correct. 
Correct. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I was getting really, really strongly was the Civil War. And I remember asking you, I wonder if there was a battle like on this very property because it felt so strong. The movement of soldiers felt so strongly in that space. What about you? What were you getting? You actually said a a call to arms. You were feeling a call to arms. Did I really say that? You literally said that. Sometimes I impress myself. (laughs) (laughs) I was feeling crimes of poverty crime or crimes having to do with poverty or like necessity it felt hopeless it felt um impoverished that's what I was feeling so weird Mm -hmm. because it doesn't seem to fit on a college campus but whatever and we were walking around and I was feeling like um the weird part is is that Westminster is kind of on a hill Mm -hmm. so as I was looking down I was feeling like I was looking down on people like figuratively and literally like lesser people of society very interesting right and again spirit often talks to us in metaphor right so this would be yeah this would be important looking back doing the research the other interesting thing about the location of Westminster College is that it dead ends at something called the Gray Ghost Trail right So Westminster campus is to the west of downtown Fullerton, Missouri, and all the main streets dead end at the campus. And on the front of a notable site on Westminster where the original building was with those huge towers, Jen, you know what I mean? The original pillars of the yes. gymnasium that burned mm-hmm. down. In, yes. Right in front of that, on the street, there was a sign for the Gray Ghost Trail. And we were intrigued. Right, exactly. <laughs> we like ghosts. And so from there, we actually uh, followed it to the courthouse, the Fulton Courthouse. Right. And apparently at the courthouse, there was a historical marker that we read that people of the community organized there for the Confederacy so that they can leave there and go battle the war or whatever. And we're like, oh, that's cool, whatever. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. And then what did we do? Well, I think we uh, called it a day, didn't we? Or no, we found the insane asylum. We found an insane asylum. Which was creepy. Which in itself is creepy, yeah. Totally creepy. Totally. And then we were hungry. To be honest, before we were hungry. So we were looking to leave town to find like a fast food restaurant. But on our way out of town, we passed down Pioneer Drive and Forth. And there was this creepy cemetery AF. Do you remember that on the intersection? Yeah, of course. There was Pioneer Cemetery. It was Pioneer Cemetery. And why was it super creepy to you? Because it was right up against these what looked to me to be government subsidized housing Mm. and literally headstones were like in someone's side yard like you could look out your window and be like oh hello dead and that's that was really unsettling like you can touch you can touch the building and a headstone at the same time like that's how close these stones were to the building We were so focused on, like, why would you want to live here? Mm -hmm. Like, why would they pick this area to develop housing, like, in a cemetery? It felt like the houses were built in this cemetery. 
It, it, that's exactly how it felt. And you and I were so flummoxed. Um, side, side note, um, what does flummoxed mean? Bewildered, confused. I don't know if I were flummoxed. <laughs> you was okay, flummoxed. Yes. You were yes, flummoxed. Was. Okay, you was. Fair. You was flummoxed. <laughs> <laughs> you were. <laughs> okay, that's fair. That's fair. It's like, don't you talk from me with these fancy <laughs> words. Okay. So then our hunger took over and we left and we headed towards Jefferson City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. To a Taco Bell? Yes. Wait, was it Subway? No, I think it might be Subway. I didn't yeah. know. Taco Bell was in Mexico, Mexico, Missouri. And I think it was either Pizza Hut or Subway in Jefferson City. That sounds right. That's what I think. We should have noted that. So now that we've got the important information mm. out of the way. <laughs> Okay, tell me about the history of Fulton, Missouri. Okay. So actually, the state of Missouri became a state in the year 1820 with something that you might remember called the Missouri Compromise. Part of the Missouri Compromise was the agreement that Missouri would be a state that in which slavery is allowed. I do remember that. I remember not liking that. Mm. So before the Civil War, uh, legislators in Washington, D.C. kind of had that to walk that tightrope as each state was being admitted into the Union because you had the people who were, you know, pro-slavery on one side and uh, against slavery on the other. So the Missouri Compromise was part of that whole dance that they were doing before everything blew up during the Civil War. Anyway, so you have uh, Missouri in 1820 becomes a state. But what's interesting about the state of Missouri is that even though slavery was allowed there, it wasn't like everybody who lived there was a slaver. It wasn't? Mm-mm, no. First of all, the land wasn't such that uh, plantations were even possible. Do you know what I mean? In order to have a big plantation that would require a lot of slaves, um, you need uh, certain uh, growing conditions. And the one place in Missouri, there's like a, a belt that ended up being called Little Dixie, was um, along the Missouri River Valley. And it was that area where these counties were formed that were heavy into slavery because of the growing conditions there. Again, it was called Little Dixie for an obvious reason, and that's where the county of Callaway was located. Mm. Okay. Okay. So the exact opposite of Shelbyville, Tennessee. Are you making a correlation between Fulton and Shelbyville or Callaway and Shelbyville? Either. Well, if you think about Shelbyville being like a little union stronghold, a little Boston, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, in more of a slave holding state, then yes, there was a section of Missouri that was more pro-slavery and pro-Confederacy than other areas of the state. That would be true. Um, also, because it's not only the slaveholders who came and moved into Missouri, into this area, and bought up all this land to work it, but also because um, there were immigrants who came to the area, too, who were abolitionists. So there was a true mix of ideology in Missouri. So it wasn't the exact opposite. It wasn't so black and white, is what you're saying. It wasn't so black and white, but there is a correlation there that I can appreciate. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. Please continue. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So in 1861... 
that is the year that the Civil War started. And citizens of Callaway County answered the call to defend the county when word arrived that the Union troops had advanced Mm. and were nearby. Now, Colonel Jefferson Jones from eastern Callaway County assembled troops, and the forces were somewhat limited, but Jones marched the troops eastward to meet the approaching Union army. Scary. Mm -hmm. So now there's like potentially going to be a skirmish or a battle there. Yeah, nearby. Yeah, exactly. Now, uh, Colonel Jones successfully defended the county against the Union, the Union force, but he did it via illusion and subterfuge. Ooh, he's sneaky. Mm -hmm. He and his men erected tree logs. And it resembled artillery in the shadows of the campfires. And that alone deterred the Union troops and made them think that they were much stronger, more heavily armed than they actually were. Wow. Do you believe that? That's crazy. Yeah. And so instead of fighting, there was a ceasefire. And eventually, the United States came to an agreement with Callaway County. So they, like, negotiated with these rebels and treated them like... You know, like another power. Like an entity on it to itself. Exactly. And that's why it's called today the Kingdom of Calloway. Exactly. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Yeah, the people there are really, really proud of the way this this turned out. It's really legendary. Everything there is called the Kingdom of Calloway. We stayed at the Kingdom of Calloway Hilton. Mm-hmm. We, we ate at the Kingdom of Calloway Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. So Fulton, Missouri, the city was incorporated in 1859, and it had a predominantly Southern culture. Southerners from other parts of the United States settled the land that I told you about along the Missouri River and brought with them their slaves, their enslaved people, and established an agricultural economy. And so there was a strong connection with Southern heritage. And this could be exemplified when in 1875, this is years after the Civil War ended, Jefferson Davis, the former president of the Confederate States of America, came to Fulton and gave a speech. And more than 10,000 people showed up to hear him talk at the old fairgrounds, which is now Westminster College's priest field. That's crazy ballsy, though. That's, I mean, honestly, took up arms against a union, then lost, do lost, and then is doing like touring around speaking. It's like, what are you talking to people about? Like, I don't get it. So moving on, Fulton was the county seat of Callaway County, and it seems to have been progressive in its social services. Tell me, what do you mean by that? For instance, they established an asylum for the insane in 1847, um, which was the first mental health facility west of the Mississippi. Ooh, I don't know how I feel about that. It was creepy when we when we saw the area. I mean, I guess it would bring dollars into the community, but it's creepy. Creepy. It is. A lot going on. A lot of development. Now, I'll tell you something else, though. Tell. From 1870 to 1895, due to fortunes from cheap prison labor, 
there was a construction boom and there were like 44 elaborate homes and mansions that erupted all over Main Street, which is now East Capitol Avenue. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So this area was really wealthy in the late 19th century. Yeah, I mean... On Main Street, it was. Damn. Okay. But uh, that cheap prison labor came from the Missouri State Penitentiary. Wah, wah. Tell me about that. Where's that at? It opened in 1836 in Jefferson City, and it ran continuously until 2004. It was the first state penal institution, not dirty, <laughs> west of the Mississippi River. You don't know what they were doing in there. You don't know. Let's not make assumptions, Jennifer. Love is love. <laughs> um, it was, oh my gosh, Jill, it was a notoriously brutal prison. Wow. And in 1967, oh. Time Magazine named it the bloodiest 47 acres in America. Shut up. Oh my God. And where was that? Where was it located? Jefferson City, Missouri. What? Okay, so in Callaway County, just the south. Right, where we had Subway. Yes, okay. It's like a, a light bulb, okay. Just tell me where we ate and I can tell you where we were. <laughs> so who was Daniel? <laughs> who was Daniel? Because I was hearing the name Daniel and we did a little research and we think we've got our guy. Tell me about who you think your Daniel is. Well, my Daniel is Daniel Harrison McIntyre, who was born in Callaway County, Missouri on May 5th, 1833. Mm. He attended Westminster College in Fulton, Missouri, where we were, of course. We were there. We were there. Now, this is an interesting anecdote about the start of the Civil War in Callaway County. I'm ready. When Daniel was a senior in April of 1861, he heard the call of the governor to start raising troops. And so he and his friend Joseph Laurie, who were graduating seniors that year, led the very first unit of Callaway guards from the county courthouse that April, 1861, to join the State Guard in Jefferson City. And Jill, this would be the very first military activity in the county. Shut up. The very first military activity in the county was led by Daniel McIntyre. So let me digest this. He had heard the Yankees are coming, and he was in school, and he was like, uh-uh. So he ran out of school, rallied people at the courthouse, and was like, and we're going to march to meet the Union Army and fight for our beliefs. Right. And the anecdote actually goes that, like, they were in the middle of a meal. Ooh. And they heard the call, and they were like, oh, my gosh. So they left their food. They left their books. They got up, and they, they went to the courthouse. And when they arrived, they were made officers, just like that. Wow. Wow. Right. Cray-cray. Later, he would graduate in absentia the summer of 1862. Which means he wasn't there. Right. I mean, they gave him his degree even though he didn't technically finish the year. Oh. Wasn't that nice? Well, that ain't fair. <laughs> that ain't fair. 
Yeah. Summer school. So all wasn't all wasn't well though because he was in a battle at Wilson's Creek that August and he took a wound to the jaw. Ooh. And his wounds would actually affect the rest of his life unfortunately. I'd say I'd say so. <laughs> Yeah, he did recover. He recovered and then he went back into service and he was captured and uh, was sent to different prison camps. Jesus. Now, after months of being in camp, in prison, he was exchanged at Vicksburg on September 1st, 1861. Sounds horrible. And then after he was exchanged, he returned to duty and completed his military service under General Price. Oh, now, Jill... After the war, he returned to Mexico, Missouri. He married a woman, became a farmer, and in 1871 became a student of law and would ultimately become a lawyer. Wow. You know what's crazy is that if I were at a Civil War in prison camp for nine months, I would come home and bathe before I enlisted again. That's just what I'm thinking. Because those conditions were rough, rough. And maybe have a few meals because they they were skinny, well, too, after being in camp. He obviously didn't care about a meal if he left his meal and went to go join oh. the fighting. I mean, this guy, obviously, he believed in the cause and he must have been a brave, a brave yeah. person. Because after seeing the horrors of war, I don't know that I would turn around and go back. Dude got shot in the face. Now, for nothing else, he does deserve street, street cred. You got shot. A shout out. Does he? (laughs) I got respect for you, bro. It's fine. I got respect. But still. That's fair. Right. Politics aside, dude gets shot in the face and goes back. (laughs) That's true. You got to respect that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Jill, and I just want to say, it. Uh, he became a farmer, quote unquote, but really he was a landowner. It's not like he was working the fields. I just want to say that. Okay. Right. He wasn't working the hoe. And you so, know what I mean. No. You know what I mean. He wasn't. Yeah. I know. It. Stop. You don't know what he did. You don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. All right. He... <laughs> He opened his own law office in Mexico, Missouri. And Jill, this is when his political career is really, really on the rise. I thought you were going to say this is where we ate Taco Bell. I swear I thought that like that was a missed opportunity, Jennifer. You should have shouted out to Mexico, Missouri, Taco Bell. Let's do it. Should we do it again? Should we do it again? I No, it's fine. I just want to say we got double meat. We got double meat in those soft shell tacos. And I was happy. I didn't ask for it. They didn't charge me for it. They double meated us. Are you are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Are you done? I was just remembering. I was in a moment. <laughs> Go on. I was on my double meat soft shell tacos. But Jen, you didn't right, eat well, that. Well, now that night. you're off your double meat riff. <laughs> are you off your double meat riff now? Wait, you didn't eat that night. It was only me. Really? Do you remember? I don't remember. How do you not remember? I know I don't eat Taco Bell. Yeah, I do. Yeah, you didn't order anything. But I got to tell you, if you did, <laughs> you would be All just right, as back excited. Back to Daniel McIntyre. Okay, so his political career is now on the rise. We're in the 1870s, and he is elected to the Missouri Senate. 
and he becomes the Attorney General of Missouri in 1881 through 1885. And then after that, he is in the state legislature until the 1890s. Um, Later in life, he gave up his law practice because the wounds that he suffered in war affected his ability to see. Um, He returned to Mexico, Missouri, and in the year 1910, he quietly passed away at the age of 76. Oh, geez. So that is Daniel McIntyre. Wow. Okay, brave guy. He was all gung-ho for the Confederacy, I gotta tell you. But what was his legacy? How did people remember him? Okay, so looking at a new a Tribune article, according to a News Tribune, could it really be called News Tribune? I think so. Okay, according to a newspaper article from <laughs> July 27th, 2019, it's, it said that the Missouri Bar spoke highly of him. And the quote is, As a lawyer, he is painstaking and untiring in his labor for his client and is distinguished for his integrity, his kindness of heart, and his social amenities. Mm. Additionally, in a Google book I found in 1905, the last sentence about Daniel McIntyre is that his history is intimately connected and woven with the history of the state during the entire period of his activity. And I think that's really telling. Wow. So it looks like we've got different uh, sources who are really uh, glorifying McIntyre's legacy. They really like him. Yeah, they they dig him. They dig him. He's a big deal. So the Mexican ledger at the time of his death said what about General Daniel Harrison McIntyre? Right. So the Mexican ledger would, of course, be out of Mexico, Missouri, not the country. Where? Where you ate double stuffed tacos at the Taco double Bell. Double stuffed, soft shell, supreme, right. number two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Delicious. Number two. Why is this number two? Soft shell, supreme. I am horrified that you know that. Please I am horrified that you know that. I'm <laughs> <laughs> oh. horrified. I, like, how are you even surprised? Like, ask me another. Like, what's number one? (laughs) So the Mexican ledger at the time of his death said, and I quote, the death of General D.H. McIntyre from Mexico, one of the most distinguished citizens, a man who for 40 years was active in public life and his city and county and state. General McIntyre's life of public and private was without a blemish and was honored and respected for his ability and integrity. A community is always better off for having had the benefit of the life and activities of a man like General D.H. McIntyre. Wow. How do you like that? What a legacy. Without blemish. Without blemish. Without blemish. And again, my favorite quote is, his history is intimately connected and woven with the history of the state during his entire period of activity. The man, the man was Missouri, huh? Ooh. Missouri proud. Very nice. Missouri proud. So why are we talking about him? I don't know. So far, it's all we found is a bunch of accolades. Well, I found something else. Oh, what did you find? 
there were other mentions of General Daniel McIntyre in the papers. Do tell. The headline was convicts at and Calloway. Convicts and Calloway, okay? Convicts? So convicts. Okay. The rest of the headline is <laughs> the people will fight for relief in courts. Okay, so this is getting juicy now. People are fighting for relief. So I want to know, what does Daniel McIntyre have to do with this? Okay, well, first let's talk about – there's so much here. Okay, convicts. What What is happening? Why are there convicts in Callaway? Because we know the penitentiary is in Jefferson City. So what happens is – there is a piece of property in an area that isn't as affluent as other parts of of Missouri. And who owns the property there? So the property there, the, a farm, is owned by certain inspectors of the penitentiary. And those owners uh, s- lease their land to the penitentiary to have convicts come and work the land. Does that make sense? So this is the cheap convict labor that was referenced earlier. Hence the boom, the mansion boom. Right. Okay. So the convicts were building mansions and work and doing cheap work that led to this boom. That makes sense. So in this particular case, instead of building in the city, these convicts are working the land. And again, I just want you to understand what I'm saying. There is a thing called inspectors of a of an institution like a penitentiary. And their job is to make sure that the penitentiary is running above board and everything's fine. It is one of those inspectors who actually owns this land, who's renting the land to the penitentiary to use as convict labor so they can harvest crops to get back to the penitentiary. Does that make sense? So I think so. So the inspectors are benefiting yes. from this situation. Mm, just say it. Just say it. It's true. Okay. Get so right through why, it. why are people fighting for relief in the courts? Explain oh. that to me. What people are fighting? You are going to absolutely love this. It's not funny, but it's like legit funny. <laughs> if it's not happening to you, it's hysterical. Unfortunately, <laughs> okay. this happened to these people. There's about 50-plus plaintiffs that brought suit against the inspectors of the penitentiary in Jefferson City because the inspectors, and one of them at the time was Daniel McIntyre, okay, were allowing convicts to harvest the lands, right? And to be at the farm, which is totally fine. Right. But Well, I mean, I wouldn't they, say totally fine. I mean, one could argue that this is another uh, another uh, incarnation of slave labor. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, when I say fine, I mean like... Okay. But, it's legal. Oh, right. There it's you go. Legal. It's legal. Yeah, okay. it's legal. So everything should be above board. But what was happening is that there was only supposed to be one person or they assigned one person to look after these convicts and to keep them in line day and night. There's only one person. And there was like 25 plus convicts. Wait a minute. They're living on the land? Yeah. <gasps> They're not tra- – the convents are just at the land, and they have 25-plus of them, and they only have one 
log cabin on the property and one person is supposed to be in charge of these 25 plus convicts day and night okay so they're like locked up they're in chains and no no Uh oh they're like running amok they are loose upon society (laughs) like they are and i am not shitting you like what are they doing what do you mean loose oh you're gonna die this is what's happening the guys the convicts are going to people's houses and stealing suits, suit coats and clothes so that they could attend. Yes. Clothes attending. So they are stealing suits and clothes so they can hide and pretend like they're citizens of the communities so they can go to balls and birthday parties and community functions. Get out of here. I shit you not. No, I swear. And as a matter of fact, one one knocked on the door and punched Paul Reynolds' <gasps> wife in the face because she was like, "We don't have a suit. We're just poor." She's like, "We don't even. We don't have a suit." Oh, yeah. My other other times. God. Other members of the community. One of the other fifty plaintiffs. They were jumped, accosted, <gasps> and stripped of their clothes by the convicts. Yes. Uh, yes. That is unbelievable. So they're loose. They're loose and they're robbing. They're, they're robbing the people who live around this farm, this area. They are living their best convict life. Yeah, yeah they are, because then they're out on the yes. town in the evening in these stolen clothes and nobody mm-hmm. knows that they're convicts. Yes. Well, they got well, the community got hit to that jive. They were like, Oh, we know who you are. We know you don't belong here. But But what was happening is that they were, because these community members for years have been going to the courts and petitioning the inspectors of the penitentiary to be like, hey, guys, can you stop this? This is what's happening. And they had multiple pages filed against what the grievances were, what these convicts were doing. And they were ignored multiple times by the inspectors. So then they got the circuit court of Callaway involved and after the court petitioned the inspectors, the inspectors brought more convicts there. What? More? Yes. They were making the matter worse. Yes. So when they weren't totally ignoring them, they were making it worse. So when they were having a party, like little Susie Brown was having a party and a convict showed up in Paul Reynolds' suit and people knew who he was, there was a conversation like, do we take him back to the penitentiary? And ultimately, the community at large was like, no, we don't, because they're going to come back full force and make matters worse. Wow. So they just let the convicts do whatever they could. And then eventually they got lawyers. The community banded together and sought lawyers to sue the inspectors of the penitentiary, which, of course, included Daniel McIntyre. Okay. Okay. Wow. I cannot believe that something like that could actually happen, number one. And number two, check out these convicts. (laughs) So enterprising and resourceful. They're making lemonade for sure. (laughs) Right? My God. Holy crap. I mean. That's some balls right there. I mean. That's some balls right there. To actually show up at a party, like, (laughs) honestly, and pretending like you're not a convict and you didn't just steal the suit that has someone else's name. Wow. Do you think everybody was just like, 
Yeah, because there's in one of the newspaper articles, they had a conversation about it. Like, should we bring him back? Wow. Wow. Okay. Awkward. All right. So basically, it sounds like these people uh, who lived in the area were at their wits end because it sounds like they had already tried to remedy the situation in different ways by going to the authorities. Right. And it sounds like they weren't listened to. Why weren't they listened to? Like, I don't understand. Like, this is a this is like a legit grievance. Can here. I have you read an expert from the newspaper, the Fullerton Gazette? Excerpt. Expert. Excerpt. Is this why my transcripts never work? <laughs> I need you to read an expert. What is it? Excerpt? Excerpt, yes. Say it again. Excerpt. Excerpt. An excerpt. Now you got me doing it. <laughs> I know it's hard. It's a tongue twister. Okay, I need you to read an expert. <laughs> Shit. I need you to read part of this friggin' article, man. It's from Fullerton <laughs> okay. Gazette, Friday, April 20th, 1883. After, so in the paper above this was a newspaper article written by the lawyers of the plaintiffs, which is, i.e., the community members, the 50 members of society that had gotten together and have been pushing back against the inspectors of the penitentiary. And so the newspaper wanted to explain why we gave such a lengthy bit of space to this to this article written by the plaintiff's lawyers. And can you take it from take them out? In this issue, we published the petition to the circuit court for an injunction against the warden and inspectors of the penitentiary. We again call attention to the fact that these gentlemen have singled out the county of Callaway and imposed upon her what they have not dared to put upon another county in the state of Missouri. Our people have petitioned and petitioned in vain. For some cause, they have been unable to obtain relief from the legislator of the state, and now they propose to seek relief in the courts." Think of it, 25 desperate men, black, white, living in the midst of the civilized community, a community whose wives and daughters, whose peace and prosperity are just as dear to them as if they were merchants and bankers and state officers than in just instead of farmers. And who is to restrain these desperados? The great state of Missouri with a strong walled prison and host of armed guards for the support of the Callaway pays her thousands to this great state, but have been misrepresented by those in authority. They have sent one guard to look over these 25-plus desperados. We venture the statements that have been made in vain and petitioned from Callaway farmers have been the words of merchants, bankers, or state officers that relief would long since have been forthcoming. The petitioners recounted the brutal beatings inflicted by one of these robber convicts robber convicts upon a woman because she did not yield to the robber's demand for a suit of clothes she is not the wife of a rich man she is the wife of one of the Callaway's humblest citizens but humble as she is the state of Missouri should ring with demands that the state government shall no longer turn loose its convict ruffians to frighten and abuse her and other trembling and fearful women the petition of the reputable citizens of Callaway sets forth that these criminals who are supposed to be imprisoned although daily and nightly 
privately, roam about the rows and farms of Calloway and do as they please. When courts and juries at great expense condemn these men to the penitentiary, however, the inspectors of the penitentiary, by their interpretation and practice, have nulled the convictions and licensed the scoundrels to do as they please in Calloway. If there be no remedy in the courts of the state for such injustice as this, then justice administered in Missouri is a farce. The sympathy of our people is entirely with the petitioners in this fight, and we will anxiously watch the issue of this case. That was really long. That was really long, but it says it so well. The reason why no one was listening to the petitioners is because they weren't merchants, bankers, or state officials. They were the humblest of Callaway citizens. They were just mere farmers. Wow. So what happens, Jill? What happens in court? Girl, another article from the St. Louis Gazette, April 21st, a day after this article was written, the one that you just read the expert from, the excerpt from, St. Louis Gazette, April 21st, says the Honorable D.H. McIntyre, Attorney General, representing the defendants, i.e. the state, met and effected a compromise with the plaintiffs in the suit. By this agreement, the defendants are to withdraw all convicts from the county of Callaway on the 15th day of November next and forever thereafter to refrain from working the same in any part of the county and that between now and the next November, the convicts so worked in this county are to be significantly guarded day and night. It is the hope that this will be an end to convict labor in the county. Okay, so basically it never went to court. There was a deal made. Right. There was a deal made. But notably, the attorney general, who is Daniel McIntyre, also was a defendant in the case. Oh. Think about that. That's weird. That is weird. That I would think that that would be some sort of conflict. Yeah, for sure. It would. He would have to recuse himself, I'm sure. He would have to what? Recuse himself. I don't know that word. Step aside. I'll have to look it up to see if it's a real word, but I'm pretty sure it's a real word. Anyway, it means like step aside to let someone else do it because he is involved in it in some way. That's on, that is that is really something. So, it really is. It's some shiznittle. Wow. You look very sad. It is Tell sad. Me about it. Why no, so it sad? is sad. I mean, I guess it's sad that they were that they were lied to and that they were bullied and that they were ultimately taken advantage of because of their position in life. They didn't have wealth. They didn't have any power. Um, however. It does sound like in November it did stop and that the convicts were kept under control and they weren't running amok, punching people's wives and stealing people's suits, and that come November they were taken off the farm. Is that right, Jill? That is right. What are your thoughts on Daniel? Um, I definitely think that Daniel being the attorney general at the time and an inspector of the penitentiary, it definitely seems like a conflict of interest. It obviously wasn't illegal, but it doesn't seem right Mm -mm. because he was ultimately profiting from the situation as a inspector of the penitentiary. Do you agree? Right. I do. Well, the thing is, is that the lands, the conflicts were farming was we don't know if they were owned by Daniel, but we know definitely it was it was owned by one of his friends. However, what? We do know that when we spoke about earlier, earlier the booming mansions being built by a convict later, Daniel did own one of those mansions. Mm. 
He sure did. 401 Capitol Avenue. Right. So so being the attorney general and the uh, a defendant in that case, if that wasn't a conflict of interest, then um, certainly being a inspector of the penitentiary as well as a a profiteur of the slave labor of the convicts, that definitely seems like a conflict of interest. It was noted in one of my research articles that um, although Daniel did own that mansion at 401 Capitol Street, he didn't stay there long. In six years, his wife Susan had been judged insane and committed to the Fulton State Hospital where she died in 1964. Oh, no. So, yeah, that's sad. Lastly... We should talk about the power dynamics at play, right? Oh, my gosh. We spoke a little bit about the wealthy versus, like, the, just the, 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 the class of people that were being disparaged mm-hmm. by these laws that, again, were, were not unlawful, but were they moral? Were they moral? We talked about class, but what about race? Like, I, I want to know, because this is after the Civil War, and I know that there were enslaved peoples who were freed as a result of the, you know, the Civil War and the aftermath. So who were these people who lived in this community? Were they African Americans? Were they whites? So they were both. They were ex-Confederates and they were ex-slaves. Not only that, but... All poor living together. All poor living together. Huh. And they were able to come together and put aside their differences and philosophies to work together to put an end to this, to these convicts plumaging, or plumaging their, wow. their neighborhoods. Isn't that crazy? That's kind of nice. I'm glad they were banded together and it ultimately worked out for them. I'm just going to push it forward and say that it's crazy that in like 1870 Missouri that people can put aside their philosophies to come together. And in 2021, we're still having an issue with that. Mm. I just feel like if we thought of ourselves as community members, and I know not all our listeners are in the United States of America, but a lot of you are, if we just looked at ourselves as American and community members and sought to better ourselves as a nation, maybe we too can put aside our philosophies and live together. Brought to you by Jill for president. Jill Stanley for president. There we go. So, Jill, how do we know? <laughs> Vote Jill. How do we know that we were meant to talk about this Daniel McIntyre? Are you serious? How many hits do we need? We were at Westminster College. Someone whispered to you, Daniel. Also, we were at the courthouse. We were at the penitentiary. We were at the state hospital. We were at all those places. And all of those places are significant in Daniel McIntyre's life. For sure. Not only that, when I was on the actual Westminster College campus, I was feeling organized battle, a call to arms in the Civil War. And you? The poverty, the helplessness, the the crimes, and the forgotten people of society. Oh, my God. And the whole creepy, creepy kingdom of Callaway. Like, now I get it. Still kind of creepy. (laughs) But Jill... The thing is, this story really isn't about Daniel, right? I mean, it is, but it isn't. No, no, Jenna, we just read a whole thing. We just did a whole thing about Daniel. (laughs) But really, he's just an analogy, I would say, right? Or no? 
are we gonna end tell me why you would say that (laughs) I yeah. well, I think you here you have a man who rises to prominence during war uh, through his courage and boldness. He becomes a prominent political figure of his day. He achieves power and wealth. He's well respected for his accomplishments and lauded even today. And we see that again and again in history. We see it in the United States and we see it globally. This figure is a common one. But... It's a common archetype. It is. But, but, but. We have to remember the Peter Parker principle. Stan Lee, Spider-Man. Peter Parker Parker principle. principle. (gasps) With great power, Jill, comes great responsibility. And that's where we see Daniel using his power and influence for his personal economic gain at times. At the expense of those less fortunate. And that was wrong. Mm. Thoughts? I think we need to be clear there is a difference between legality and what is legal to do and what should be moral to do. Right. And morality, right? And I think we also have to consider it is those people in power, a lot of times with wealth, creating laws. So you hear a lot, well, was it against the law? Is it lawful? Who's making the laws and for what purpose we need to think about? We need to let that sink in. And that goes for everywhere. Am I being political again? Am I isolating? I don't want to I, I don't want to isolate my neighbors. All right. I think we're done. I think that I just want to end on thank you for bearing with me. I typed the outline. I used a lot of talk to text. And there was a lot of misspellings that Jennifer worked through. There was a lot of head rubbing. There was a lot of finger biting going on. I can see you. And I just want to give a shout out to Jennifer and her patience. <laughs> Love you. Proud of you. Tell the people where they can find us. <laughs> Well, check out our website, commonmystics.net. Find us on Facebook and our Insta account. You can check us out on Audible, Amazon Music, Tuned In, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, where you can leave us a positive review so other people can find us. Thank you and good night. Good night.